the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. CFP Chad Burton is taking an off day. Working on other projects that are smart and intelligent, just as much as talking on radio is, sitting in for CFP Chad Burton, Rob Black. I take a different approach. He's more about the wealthy. I'm more about creating the wealth. Probably the number one question that I've gotten in the last six months, maybe, maybe nine, has to do with Coinbase, ETFs tied towards Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, Dogecoin. Um... And what should you do? First and foremost, I believe that Bitcoin is mostly real. And what I mean by that is it is a currency we can transact not easily and not a lot of stuff on sale with it. But I think the more and more you hear about non-fungible tokens being bought with Ethereum or Bitcoin, the more you hear about collectibles being transacted at millions of dollars of value, the smaller transactions should follow. I believe that you can have between 1% and 5% of your wealth inside of Bitcoin, where if for some reason it goes to zero, you still got the other 95% in your wealth. If for some reason it goes to a bazillion, woohoo, you participated. If it just starts reacting to the markets, um, and what do I mean by that? If it's a non-correlating, if the markets go up and it goes up or the market goes up and it goes down, and sometimes it's one and sometimes it's the others, maybe that adds some diversification inside your portfolio. Because I'm stock heavy. I'm S&P 500 stock heavy. So when the S&P 500 tanks and S&P 500 managers have to sell because Tesla's going down, I'm hurt because I'm stock heavy. Coinbase has come public. It might be the Google of cryptocurrencies. If that's the case, it's a bargain. This is from an article inside of Barron's Magazine. Coinbase stock has come public. It is a play on Bitcoin. But before I talk about this novel company, and when I call it novel, it's more novel than war and peace. It's brand spanking new. And it's a game changer of way of thinking. It's got competitive advantage. It's been enabled to increase market share despite fierce rivals. It's been compared to Shopify, which is kind of a poor man's Amazon, but doing quite nicely. Square, ticker symbol SQ, Charles Schwab, and the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ was an alternative play on NYSE boring stocks. Charles Schwab was a discount brokerage that changed how people held stocks. 
Square is a payment system started by Jack Dorsey that I've seen more hairdressers. And again, I'm not really sure why it's hairdressers. I've seen it on a couple other professionals, some plumbers and stuff like that. But they get their, their money immediately in one day or less, something like that. It's a way of doing transactions that, you know, I'm not going to say it makes its competitor to Visa and Square, uh, Visa and Google or Visa MasterCard because it's not. But Square is a payment transaction system that is pretty intelligent. Coinbase looks a lot like Alphabet, according to this author. At the time of its IPO, everyone underestimated the power of Google. And it's turned out to be one hell of a post-IPO investment. Um, when it IPO'd in 2004, the SP 500 was around 1100 today. It's around 4,200. Google's valuation raised some big eyebrows when it came public and people were like, I don't know. Google was generating earnings and free cash flow. Fast forward today and alphabet slash Google has generated about $240 billion in cash flow over the course of its existence. So if you bought its IPO at $85 a share, you were very, very happy. So the author's trying to say, hey, here's a play, way of playing uh, Bitcoin. I still would prefer you to, instead of buy coin, is to find an ETF that you feel comfortable with. Ju or maybe it's like 3% of your money goes into the ETF and 2% goes into Coinbase. Or 2% goes into Coinbase, 2% goes into an ETF, and 1% goes into Bitcoin. I don't even want you thinking about Bitcoin unless, you're, unless you have at least $100,000 in investable assets. And I'm telling you, that's the least amount. So at 15 times sales, Coinbase could be worth $108 billion or $415 a share, 21% higher than it's where it was yesterday. It's not a big move. Coinbase is going to be inextricably linked to Bitcoin. When it rises, trading volume does too. When it falls, trading activity will fall as well. Competition. Um, a lot of exchanges are going to open up, attempting to stake out ground in the new crypto land rush. But so far, Coinbase, Coinbase is the first there. Right now, the brokerage fees, the transaction fees are high, and that should come down. How high are they? To do a transaction, it's going to cost you about 4% in, 4% out. You don't get that for free. Stocks can be bought for free. Bitcoin cannot. Stocks can be bought for free. Homes cannot. Real estate agents get their 3% cuts for buying and selling, right? One big question out there that you need to ask yourself is, do you believe cryptocurrencies have staying power? Or do you think it's a fad? I don't know how real these are, but I'm getting a lot of hate towards non-fungible tokens. I don't know how, how real the hate is. A lot of people are emailing me like, I don't understand how Time Magazine can sell a cover and it'll never be printed again. That's how, that's how they do it. It's a digital version of something real. There's digital houses. There's digital artworks. There's digital albums. Digital albums make sense to you. Why doesn't a digital house or a digital artwork? 
you totally understand the idea of Napsters and MP3s. But you're just not allowed to copy it anymore. And when it, you sell it, there's a, a transaction tied towards it. I kind of love it. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. So is Coinbase a must-own stock? It really depends on your beliefs on ETFs. I'm sorry, on, on digital currencies. But it's certainly something you can watch and say, ooh. One of the things that I like doing is to teach you how to invest and trade. And my producer's got a beautiful and lovely fiance. If he were to say, honey, we're worth $100,000, and Rob said I could do whatever I want with it, do it on paper. Make a little game out of it. Do it with your kids. Make a little game out of it. Your kids think they're all hot snots. Say, hey, let's have a competition over the next 90 days so you can make more money. We'll use made-up money. But when you buy something, you're not allowed to say it out loud. You have to write it down on a piece of paper and give it to me. And when you sell it, you have to write it down as well. And let's see how you are after 90 days or 120 days. If you can do that with Bitcoin and you feel comfortable with losing or making, giving yourself a little trial period to test, I think that's a smart idea because it's going to teach you that there's some volatility on the upside and downside. Um, that's the problem with homes. People love real estate, but if their real estate had a price tag on it in front of the house every day, they might be more inclined to sell. The beauty about real estate, in, for my opinion, is holding for the longer term. We are all very different. This is Sia taking us to break. I'm Rob Black sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. Find me online or him online at chadburton.com. That's Chad, B-U-R-T-O-N.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So I grew up hardcore playing video games and hardcore playing soccer. I grew up in Europe. I'm Rob Black sitting in for CFP, Chad Burton. And growing up in Europe, I had no video games. I had no television. I had no American radio. I had nothing. When I went to school in Greece, I was the only one who spoke English. Like, it was brutal as far as students go. Um, So they lumped five or six of us American English speakers together, and they taught between second grade and eighth grade with, like, all of us, one teacher. Like, crazy, right? So I have a different background, a different kind of understanding. But when I got to the United States, I became obsessed with video games. Um, I played co- I played college soccer. I, I was very, very good. I had a chance to go pro. But it, pro in Italy versus pro in the United States kind of thing, it wasn't pretty. Um, and I didn't want to do it. And I was burned out. And a game I loved had turned into a job. This job is a job I love. I think I will do this until I die, talking on the radio. But video games have been around since I was a wee little lad. The Sony PlayStation was first video game console to sell over 100 million units. That's important to note. It got widespread appeal. Nintendo was out there. Um, Sega uh, was out there. And the history of PlayStation begins ultimately in 1988. Sit on my lap, little boy, and I'll tell you a story. Sony and Nintendo were working together to develop what was called SuperDisc. Nintendo was dominated computing gaming at that time. Sony had not yet entered the home video game market as of 1988, but they were eager to make a move. 
the Super Disk was going to be a CD-ROM attachment as part of Nintendo's soon-to-be-released Super Nintendo game. Sony and Nintendo's parted ways business-wise, but that's because Nintendo decided to use Philips as a partner instead. Sony got a lot of knowledge from working with Nintendo. In 1991, Sony introduced a modified version of the uh, Super Disk. Keep in mind, back in the 1980s, Sony was Apple for iPods. The Sony Walkman, it was all that in a bucket of chicken. And in the 90s, it was all that in a bucket of chicken. And that's why they thought they could win in video games. And they did win in video games, in my opinion, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, Sony wanted to create a multimedia and multi-purpose entertainment unit is how they saw the PlayStation. It was designed to allow you to have movies being watched through your TV as well. There was a 3D polygon graphics format. Not everyone at Sony approved of the project. There was a lot of in-house fighting. But the PlayStation X was released in 1994. And it was no longer compatible with Nintendo game cartridges. It only played CD-ROM-based games. It was a smart move by PlayStation because they had they created the best-selling console and the best-selling games. The Sony PlayStation was not introduced into the United States in 1994. That was just essentially in Japan. But it sold over 300,000 units in the first month. Introduced in the United States in 1995, it went on to sell 2 million units. Um, and another five million, uh, 7 million units worldwide. So it hit 100 million units when it was first introduced in 1995 through 2003. Now, flash forward to today, it's no longer called the PlayStation X. Interesting, though, because I think Microsoft has got the X now, as far as game consoles go, even though 20 years, 22 years prior, it was Sony who had it. So the PlayStation 5 has often been impossible to find. I was able to get mine. You know why? Because I talked about it on the air. And then I was able to get one because I did what I practiced or I preached. I practiced what I preached. I sat in line for an hour online, knowing that it was going to sell out, knowing that I could buy two and sell one and basically get one for free. You buy two, you put one on eBay, it sells for twice the price, your other one's free, and you don't feel like, oh, geez, I just paid uh, $600 for a, a PlayStation. I've always done that. <laughs> one day it's not going to work, but for now it does, right? So the new PlayStation 5, it's impossible to find. And yet it's still the best-selling game console ever through five months. Um, I think Sony's stock is interesting because of this. They've got a big hit game in Monster Hunter Rise. Shot to the top of the Nintendo Switch sales charts. That's Nintendo. Um, but the PlayStation 5 doing quite well, quite nicely. <clears throat> and I bring this up because at the beginning of 2021... I heard a prediction from one of the Wall Street analysts, and it, I like those. I like top 10 lists. Even the stupid jokes, I like. I like lists. When I go to the grocery store, if my wife doesn't give me a list, I don't buy her anything. Like I'm like, put it on a list, otherwise I don't go. <clears throat> but um, someone put it on a list for, not Sonny. He said sometime in the near future, maybe by the end of this year, if you take a look at the top 10 most worth companies, you see Microsoft and Apple and Amazon all over $2 trillion. 
He said some point in time in history, maybe by the end of this year, he thinks a video game company, not Sony or Microsoft, because they're much more diverse than that, will be in the top 10 heavy, most valued companies in the world. Whoa. That was a wake-up call to me that video games are for real. They're not just for kids. They're not to be scorned or looked down on. My kid's stupid because he can't read because he plays video games all day. My kid's going to go into drugs because he plays video games all day. He should be outside in sunshine. Last time I checked, sunshine causes cancer. (laughs) Just between you and me, that's the kind of kid I was. Um, But Sony's got a really nice docket. Is that that a word? A docket of games coming out? Returnal, Ratchet & Clank, Major League Baseball, The Show. Um, both Microsoft and Sony are playing with subscription ideas where you can play their games streamed online, so where you don't actually have to have the Xbox. You just have to have something that can stream it and a Bluetooth controller. They're also playing with subscription ideas. Um, what was the one I saw last night? Sony is releasing a massive game. Oh, it's, um, there was a, this is bad of me because I know only half the story. Um, I don't know the video game, but it's wildly popular. It's not Into the Wild. What was it? Let me look it up real quick. But not Nintendo. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Um, Sony, if you own a PlayStation 4 or 5, you will get to be able to play a game. Let's see if I can find it. I know where I was reading it last night. Horizon Zero Dawn. Okay, it's not a game I've ever played, but it's supposed to be wildly popular. So they're both kind of not just selling... Hardware. The hardware is a money loser, a loss leader. And then they sell video games to make their money back. So the hardware is worth more than they sell it for. So they lose money on the hardware initially. They seed the world and they, you know, they milk that PlayStation 5 for five to eight years like they did with the original Sony PlayStation. And the money starts coming in real fast. But they're also playing with hardware sales, software sales, streaming, which plays their games, but without the hardware as well as giving free games like Horizon Zero Dawn. If you sign up for a subscription, $9.99 a month, we'll introduce old games that are great rated that you can play and don't have to buy. Interesting. I'm Rob Black, sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. I too believe at some point in time, a video game maker like Activision or Electronic Arts will be a top 10 company in the world in valuation. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. So one of my favorite things to do on a straight occasion growing up was to play bingo. I don't know. I liked the numbers. I liked winning. I, I felt like I won more than I lost, but something tells me that's probably not how history is going to remember it. I'm talking 30 or 40 years ago, right? But there's a, a, a funny call in bingo. Whenever the, the dealer says B9, some people would say amen, as in your cancer is benign. Amen. Um, I always found that funny. Like, that's cute. Let me just show you one that I thought in my head. I was like, well, at least it wasn't that. Same kind of joke, right? Watch, here you go. United Airlines missed Wall Street forecast. Its stock is falling. Well, at least it's not its planes out of the air. There is a weird dry sense of humor when it comes to approaching investments because they're considered very, very boring. Probably when I grew up, the world was this huge 
apple pie. This world was a huge, like, things to look forward to. Beautiful women, sunshine, uh, maybe a, a, a rum drink on a beach. But I never thought, ooh, one day I'm going to be talking about stocks for a living. P.E. ratios, margin compression, gross margins aren't that gross. How am I going to make it my own? Um, but I do find that the industry is pretty darn entertaining. And uh, it's a little dry at times. I find the CFP people to be very good at what they do. Unlike what they do, they do better than I do. And what I do, I do better than they do. I would rather talk about creating wealth. I'd rather have someone else manage the wealth. CFP Chad Burton manages wealth with EP Wealth. I help create wealth and wealth ideas for EP Wealth. It's a little bit different. I'm privileged to say that I've got the greatest job in the world. But like, for instance, let me give you a good example of a story that I find just wildly intriguing. First and foremost, Elon Musk, right? Let's start there. Um, World's richest man. He didn't start as world's richest man. He's had some crazy relationship issues. Whether it be Amber Heard um, and or, and again, Amber Heard's had some crazy relationship issues with Johnny Depp, right? Now do you see how fun my job can be? But Elon Musk has a lot of kids. He's got a lot of wives. Um, he says things like, I can't possibly go to work unless I'm totally in love. If I'm not totally in love, I'm totally depressed. And you're like, whoa. He's a, he's, he, he says how he feels fine for him. But over the weekend, there was a fascinating story about a Tesla crash. And it, it happened north of Te uh, Houston, Texas. And the police are saying the car had no driver, but it was going, driving down the highway. It goes off the highway, hits a tree and the two people die inside, but no one was in the driver's seat. Someone was in the passenger seat and someone was in the back seat. No one was. A, and then I'm like, whoa, this could be the invisible man. No, it really can't be. And this is, I've played a lot with the self-driving features of Tesla's. You have to have your hand on the wheel. So no, you don't have to have your foot on the gas pedals and everything. The gas pedal, the brake, you don't have to be there, but your hand has to be on the wheel. But this one, Elon Musk is just saying they didn't pay for the upgrade. The, it was, I think at one point in time, $6,000 upgrade. Then it was an $8,000 upgrade. Now it's a $10,000 upgrade. It's moving towards a subscription model. But Elon Musk says it wasn't even activated. So let's stop the story that it was the self-driving mode that killed. And what I would have done if I were Elon Musk, I would have said, yeah, maybe it was the self-driving mode. <laughs> Isn't that amazing that we have a car that can drive without a driver? And yes, it veered off the road and killed two people, and it's horrific and tragic, and might be even too soon to talk about it because there's dead bodies involved who probably aren't even buried yet. But the fact that we're even talking about self-driving cars and Tesla tells me the world. Is Tesla to blame on this one? I don't know yet. You don't know yet, I don't think. National Highway Safety Transportation Board is sending two people to investigate. Now, in my head, I'm thinking it's, it's uh, Mulder and Scully. I'm thinking it's like two X-File people from the National Highway Transportation. And again, you're saying that I use imagination when I approach stocks and investing. Um, the $10,000 upgrade that enables its vehicles to drive semi-autonomously, it's called the full self-driving mode. 
and Musk has said for seven or eight years now, oh, it's three years away. Oh, it's three years away. So we've long passed when we're going to have the self-driving car. But the fact that we're still pursuing it tells me it's they're trying to make it happen. I personally think it can happen very, very easily in very controlled scenarios like airport to hotel, airport to casino. Um, I, I think we're ready for that. From everything I've seen, I think we're totally ready, ready for automated taxis that have set boundaries. But again, maybe a bus that goes around town and all it does is one big loop. The autopilot feature is a little bit nerve-wracking on Teslas. It's it's very cool. You get used to it very fast. But when you engage it, you're like, okay. I can't get my hands off the wheel. And you do that three times, it, to- it stops you. It says, okay, you have no hands on the wheel. We're going back into automatic driving mode. You have to do it. So that's how I don't see how the there was no driver. Um, so yes, I guess you could have leaned over the passenger seat, enabled auto drive, self-driving. And yes, you could have just kept your hand on it. But again, this is going to tell the story is going to come out. And I, I do believe it's going to be interesting. But will it hurt Tesla's stock? I don't think long-term. When it's two men in Texas, it's not a major issue. When it's a school bus of children, that'll be a big issue for Tesla. Now, again, this happened with Microsoft back in the 1990s when they came out with an amazing operating system. Every now and then, they'd find a flaw in it. People could steal your passwords. And in the 1990s, every time they found a flaw, and it was reported like on CNET radio, that stock would drop 5 10%. Now you look back at it, and you're like, whoa, they do security updates 20 times a year now. But back then, that security update was, uh-oh. We kind of got used to it. We kind of got used to the size and scope of it. So unless the size and scope of the self-driving mode kills the school bus's children, which let's hope that I never have to come back and those words haunt me, um, I don't see it hurting the stock. Now, what's kind of interesting is there's a, a really a super powerful investor right now and she is selling shares of Tesla after being a big bull for years. Kathy Wood from ARK Investment Management. She owned every hot stock during the pandemic. She owned every hot stock the year after the pandemic. She owned every hot stock the year before the pandemic. She likes hot stocks. So if it's Peloton, she's then. But last week she was selling a lot of Tesla. So I wonder if that is a more important story than, say, the full autonomous mode failed, veered off the road, and killed two people in Houston. And again, that's still alleged at this point in time. And according to Elon Musk, the records that they've received so far, which is pretty darn cool also. After a car burns for four hours, you can get uh, records out of it. The car burned for four hours because it's got that many batteries in it. Fascinating. And when the battery stores energy, it if it's the released energy, it's not going to burn that much. But if it's just brand new charged, it might. Anyway, um, so that's the Tesla story and my angle on that, that it could be a buying opportunity. I think the Kathy Wood ARK investment selling is more of a story than the two dead people. Because if you look at how many highway miles Tesla drives with an accident in autopilot mode versus the average, it's full, over 4 million before an accident in Tesla versus 400,000 in a gas powered vehicle um, on the road. 
So their fatality, their, their accident rates are much, 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 much lower as a vehicle. So stock moving higher today, it moved lower yesterday. Sometimes headline news can create buying situations. But like I was trying to tie the Tesla flaws, the Tesla negative stories to Microsoft's negative stories in the 1990s, they just glided right past them. In the long run, you probably don't even remember that dot-com stocks would get hit on just the slightest bit of news. And boom, there goes 5 to 10%. Momentum stocks can play that way. I get a lot of questions, and I'm not speaking for CFP Chad Burton when I say this, about non-fungible tokens, NFTs. And there was one company that I think was made for this. Well, I could name a couple, to be quite honest with you. Pokemon. Uh, if you could legitimize your card and not get a counterfeit card or uh, a baseball card, I see if you can prove that the binary code on the back is this unbreakable string of, of digits, I get it. I get why you would want to own NFTs. It's great for our supply chain in the United States. Being able to track digital numbers of everything, whether it be cars. I mean, cars, VIN numbers are silly, all things considered. Um, but there is one company that I think is going to have a massive hit with NFTs. And this is where I get kind of X-rated. PG-13 Rob, right around the corner in 30 seconds. The red hot market for NFTs, I think, is piquing the interest of a lot of Americans, a lot of people around the world. Uh, we saw that the NBA sold some slam dunks in the NBA Finals as NFTs. The videos won't be played again. You own them. You decide who plays them. If anyone plays them, they owe you money. But Playboy Magazine is jumping in and playboy stock is up 83 percent this month it's up 173 percent since february the magazine art that they have from the 1960s and the 1970s um, hugh hefner whether you like him or dislike him he really had kind of a, a deep-seated love of the arts he saw playboy as beautiful women but also lifestyle so there's a lot of Lehman nimoy um, paintings there's a lot of artwork like the marilyn monroe covers they're going to sell well in the NFTs. Find Chad Burton at chadburton.com. Find the link to the other version of the podcast by going to Rob Black's Twitter. His handle is at Rob Black Show. Listen to Rob Black and Your Money weekday mornings, 7 to 9 on AM 1220 KDOW. Uh-huh. 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 I miss Elvis. He was so bad, he was good. Hey, you know, life during the pandemic. Oh, by the way, it's Rob Black sitting in for CFP Chad Burton today. Um, the pandemic, we've kind of done the remote working, and now we're starting to hear about people coming back to work. I would think history is going to be kind to Google and Microsoft and Facebook. When the pandemic hit, they said, work from home. Go home. Go home. We'll figure this out later. Do not come here and die. Do not be a super spreader. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what it felt like we heard during that time. Interesting to note. Um, now we're starting to think about going back. And Google and Facebook were two of the first ones to say, here's the plan to come back. I find some of the plans seem to be a little bit stringent. 
And some of them seem to be, we're going to phase you back in. I'm watching one personally from a distance that I don't want to talk about. But it's interesting. GM has taken a surprisingly simple approach to its return to work strategy for employees. Listen to what GM's strategy is. Work appropriately. That's it. That's it. GM's got 87,000 hourly factory workers whose jobs require them to be at the company's manufacturing facilities, or it could mean allowing a salaried employee to permanently work from home or run a hybrid schedule off of an in-office and remote work. They've got a lot to figure out between their 155,000 global employees in the post-vaccine world. I think somehow work appropriately is surprisingly right, but also at the same time confusing as hell. It's like the phrase dress appropriately. Same exact thing <laughs> in GM's dress code. Uh, which, for the record, I don't have a crush on Mary Barra, CEO of GM, but I do think she's in hella fashionable. And every time I see her, I'm like, that is what I want my CEO wearing. Now, talking about the reopening of GM and work appropriately, dress appropriately, you tell that to a 20-year-old girl and dress appropriately is showing your belly button and wearing high-waist jeans and, well, let's just say there ain't much shirt up there. That's a little vague to me, but I don't think GM's got a lot of 21-year-old style nistas. So coming back to work, one of the things we're going to watch in the coming weeks, months, years is the productivity issues. But there's also a new survey out that one in four workers is considering quitting their job because they don't want to go back to work. In 2019, workers were quitting their jobs at record rates, with labor experts saying workers did so in order to secure the pay raises and promotions they weren't getting from within. They would quit their job and go find another job that was paying more or more appropriately. But that was 2019. Go up to March of 2020 in the labor market, it shed 20.5 million jobs in the first few weeks of uh, the pandemic. Signs pointing to a recovery. And one in four workers are saying they're planning to, they're, to look for other opportunities. So it's not so much that they don't want to go back to work. It's a combination of they don't want to go back to work where they were and they want to get more money when they do go back to work. Not what I would have expected. One of the biggest causes for financial stress, in my opinion, is when you count on someone to have an income and then they lose it. That's why I find it very, very important to make sure you have disability insurance. And that is the one area that I think if you're an independent contractor, you really need to look at. If you're working for a big firm like a Microsoft or a Google or an Apple or the city of Santa Rosa, if you're working for someone big, a big employer, you're going to get some disability insurance. I tend to say try to get a little bit more. Um, you're much more likely to be disabled than you are to die in your working years. Most people live past 65. Most people work until 65. So the idea of life insurance, it is important because every now and then a car does come down the road, hit you from behind, and you die. Tesla veers off the road, hits a tree, and the two people inside die. And that life insurance is important. I got to sneeze. Sorry. Is it going to pass? Oh, 
it passed. Um, but signs pointing to recovery and one in four people will say, I really don't want to go back. My thought to you is go back and start looking for another job. Um, because I see the most financial stresses of people who lose their ability to work, whether it be through a disability or through, I'm just going to take a year sabbatical. That's the year without pay. And the bills start adding up. And most of us live paycheck to paycheck. So when you are forced to take off work for disability or forced to take off work, and you know, here's the idea on insurance. Let me get this last thought in is you never really want to use it. You don't want to use your life insurance. You want to live. You don't want to use disability insurance, but if you do get, you know, you break your leg in a skiing accident, can't go to work. You do want to get that paycheck. So learn that insure what you can't afford to lose. And for you know, a lot of us, if we're living paycheck to paycheck, mortgage to mortgage payment, that ability to lose your ability to work is a lot more realistically a financial nightmare scenario. I've got a friend right now who's working in radio. And if he were to you know, break his leg and can't drive, his spouse is going to have to drive him to work. No. Get disability insurance kind of thing. Um, that's a bad example because the broken leg angle, but we live in a very fragile economic system that if you lose your ability to work, it could financially impact your whole future. I don't like that. So I believe in getting things insured that you can't afford to lose. You know what I lost uh, two weeks ago? $60,000 car out of my driveway. Do you know what it's, I'm going to get paid for it? About $40,000 from the insurance company. It was two years old. It had very low mileage due to the pandemic. Could I afford to lose it? I can't afford to lose $60,000, but in this case, I'm going to lose about $15,000 because of the depreciation. I got unlucky that it got hit tagged early, so to speak, versus later. I can't buy a brand new $60,000 vehicle for $40,000 plus my $1,000. So insure what you can't afford to lose. I'm Rob Black, sitting in for CFP Chad Burton. Find him at EP Wealth and find Chad Burton and myself at chadburton.com.